Hey, spooky people. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) It's me, Marissa. And me, Emily. And this is... Unknown Compelling Force. (laughs) Homemade air sirens. (laughs) And this is episode something of season two. Season two, episode four, five? Could, you know what? (laughs) I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) Yeah, literally no fucking clue. Um... (laughs) This week we've got a very exciting episode. I'm so fucking pumped for this one. It's gonna be spooky as hell. Yeah, I, like, last week was really fun because you know I fucking love talking about cryptids, like, more than Mm -hmm. anything, Mm -hmm. but this week we're a little more paranormal, so I'm excited. Which is scarier to me than Bigfoot's Cousins, but. That's fair. Bigfoot Cousins was fun, though. Yeah. (laughs) And mine is really long and involved, so I am not drinking White Claws this time, I'm drinking hot cocoa. Oh, because it's also good cold substitute. as fuck today. So, uh, was there anyone anything we wanted to talk about before? Um, well, this episode is gonna come out what Black Friday, so the mm-hmm. day right after Thanksgiving. A lot of you might be trapped at home with your families, maybe extended families, and luckily, nothing at all polarizing has gone on recently in America. Oh, Thanksgiving <laughs> is going to be harsh. It's really nice of America to do bad things right before Thanksgiving when people have to go home to their Republican relatives. My uncle was li- literally like, oh, this is going to be a great Thanksgiving, very sarcastically. Uh, we are actually not going to talk about the horrible injustice of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial because we literally do not have the time to unpack no. our anger. No, that just opens up a whole nother can of worms that I'm not ready for again. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's got their opinion. We're just not going to get into that. I just, ugh. The whole thing just is so... Infuriating. Infuriating. The whole thing just sucks so bad. Like, it just, it sucks. Let's talk about spooky stuff. I don't know. Yeah, no, fuck. Fuck that shit. I don't want to hear it In the it realm anymore. of spooky stuff, though, um, if anyone is into board games, uh, I just got a new one, which is amazing. It's just called Conspiracy Theory. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the box is, like, the Illuminati symbol. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, a Conspiracy Theory trivia game. And it's super fucking fun. As soon as I picked up the box, on the back it said, do you know the difference between a Yeti and a Yowie? And really? I was like, yes, I literally just made a podcast about that Dude, like, no three one, days ago. No one's going to want to play with you and Nick because you'll just win automatically. And, and the thing was, it's like, yeah, I know that stuff, quote, because of the podcast, but also I just Yeah, you know just know it, stuff. yeah. So we played it with some friends the other night, and they were like, as soon as we were reading all the instructions, they're like, okay, so who wants to come in second place? <laughs> and I did win, but I'm everybody not surprised. did a good job. Like, it's, it's really fun. It's just... Like, all the different cards are different things. Yeah. And it's mostly just trivia questions, but they're multiple choice, so you can guess. And people did guess. So you can play this with your friends who are not super into that stuff. You can kind of figure it out. I definitely want to play. I wish that I could have went last time, but... Yeah, it's okay. I definitely want to play. But um, I, Nick got the question about Mothman, and <laughs> I got the question about the Philadelphia experiment. That's crazy. And Nick was, like, reading the card to me, and he's like, ugh, I don't even need to read the options. And he was like, what conspiracy says that the government was, like, trying to time travel mm-hmm. from, like, on the L Ridge? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, listen. There are, like, three things that I know better than anything, <laughs> and it's the Philadelphia Experiment, Mothman, and Diablo's Pass. Like, 100%. Those are, yes. like, my big three. Yes. That, so, yeah. <laughs> and the only one we've done so far is Mothman, because it's just, like, the other ones are so huge and in-depth, and I have so much to say about them, I don't think I could fit them into one episode. No. Yeah. Unless we, we did it, like, the cult episode again, I, I think I did, we're gonna like, have to do own... that. 
I think we're going to have to do that. My own episode. And you guys could just listen to me talk for an hour. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> for no one. For no one except yourself. For no one except me. Because you love talking. <laughs> I do. I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Emily. I know. Oh, my God. It's so obvious. <laughs> That's hurtful. It is so obvious, Marissa. You're hurting me deeply right now. <laughs> oh, my God. That's Anyway, amazing. I have ADHD, guys. <laughs> anyway, since... My topic is pretty hefty. We'll get I'm right cool into getting it. right into it. Yeah, if you let's are. do it. I mean, there's not really much else to talk about. I yeah. don't think we're not really doing anything in our lives. <laughs> it's our off season, man. It really is. <laughs> I'm so fucking depressed. We finally <laughs> took down the Halloween decorations yesterday. Yeah, that was big sad. That was sad. Now I have nothing. All right, here we go. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm so fucking ready. Okay, the year is 1978. Okay. Four people sit on trial for the death of a young woman. Prosecution claims that her death could have been avoided and are attempting to charge two priests and the woman's parents with negligent homicide. Damn. But defense claims that she was a victim of demonic possession. This is the case of Annalise Michelle. (gasps) I'm so excited. This is one of, this is by far one of the most famous cases of demonic possession in history. Mm -hmm. It's inspired a lot of different like pop Mm -hmm. culture content like fucking Annalise Michelle, the exorcism tapes, the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, I hate that they decided to use the name Emily in that movie. (laughs) Every white person on earth uses the name Emily. I know, it's so true. (laughs) A lot of white girls took that personally. (laughs) Yeah. But if you've seen the exorcism of Emily Rose, that is actually based off of Mm -hmm. Annalise Michelle. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like the real life case of Mm -hmm. that movie. I think that the real life case is a little more terrifying just because... A lot of times, even though the real case doesn't line up with the movie case because it's just not, you know, crazy enough to be mm-hmm, a movie, mm-hmm. this one, it's the scariest real story. Yeah, yeah. You know? Because you know that it happened. There's documentation and stuff. Right. So. Yeah. And it's just, out of all of the paranormal event turned into a real movie, I think this is the scariest actual real life event. Mm, D- okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know? yeah. So. I'm just going to get right into it. I'm going to do my best not to go on wild tangents because there's a lot of content here. But you know how I am. <laughs> There'll be tangents. <laughs> Who, me? <laughs> uh, okay, so Annalise Michelle was born on September 21st, 1952 in a very small town called Klingenberg in Bavaria in the south of Germany. Okay. She lived with her mother, Anna, and her father, Josef, who <laughs> operated a sawmill. And she also lived with her sister, whose name I could not find anywhere. Interesting. Yep. I mean, I wouldn't want to be associated with anything like that, so. That's fair. They were a very aggressively Catholic family, as were about 80% of the people living in Bavaria at the time. Hmm. So it was actually one of the most strictly Catholic areas in Europe, which is super fun for everyone involved. So by all accounts, Annalise was a great girl. She was described as being bright and likable, and she was very devoted to her Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. She went to Mass often. She prayed every day. She went on a religious pilgrimage. Like, it was a very big part of her life. Okay. So when Annalise was a teenager, things started to get weird. Dun, 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 and it wasn't puberty. I mean, there was probably also puberty, but then also demons. Yeah, I guess so. So Double whammy. Everyone knows demons make puberty way harder. (laughs) So when Annalise was 16, she had her first seizure. Mm -hmm. According to her family, they found her unconscious and lying oddly on the floor, and they assumed it was a seizure and kind of moved on, keeping an eye on her and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the next day, she told her parents that that night she couldn't sleep because she felt a huge weight pressing into her chest while she laid in bed. Oh, shit. Which, like, babe, sleep paralysis? 
Or succubus. They sit on your chest. Yes, but that's where, like, the idea of succubus came from is sleep paralysis. Oh, okay. Like, with Emily? The, yeah. We I, did a whole episode I know, on the little things that sit on your chest. Yes, yeah. I remember. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, if you haven't heard our sleep paralysis episode, uh, a lot of the succubus mythology comes from people experiencing sleep paralysis and kind of created this creature yep. that goes along with it. So, my idea is probably shoot, sleep paralysis. Yeah, know? that's what but, it sounds like. Yeah. About a year later, it happened again, and, like, she had the seizure again, and mm. her mother took her to a doctor. They did brain scans, but found nothing wrong and sent her home. But then, between 1969 and 1972, <laughs> she had four more seizures. So, at this point, she's becoming depressed and anxious, mm-hmm. and she's suffering from these seizures every few months. Mm-hmm. Which, like, wow, doctors not taking a woman's health issues seriously? <gasps> Groundbreaking. I am surprised. I am surprised. <laughs> Uh, eventually, she was given Dilantin to help stop the seizures, but every time she had one of these episodes, the EEG results came back normal. That's so weird. there were no visible abnormalities in her brain. So up until then, it's just like a health concern. Mm-hmm. Until. In 1973, Annalise started experiencing weird, unexplained things that made her whole situation much worse. Ugh. So it started with her hearing knocking sounds on her bedroom walls at night, and even after she would try to figure out where the sounds were coming from, she came up with nothing. Classic. So it started becoming very anxiety-inducing, mm-hmm. obviously. And annoying as fuck. Very fucking <laughs> annoying. Like, you were trying to sleep, bitches banging on your walls. <laughs> and she said that her sister even heard it in her room sometimes, too, uh, either, like, coming from Annalise's room or mm-hmm. would hear it while she was in the room with her. Okay. Then at night, she started hearing voices growling and yelling at her that she was going to be damned to hell. Oh, shit. So then her depression gets much worse. Yeah. Because, again, they're very religious. She takes her religion very seriously. And now these voices are saying, you're going to be damned to hell. That is earth shattering. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So her mother said, this is the craziest one. Her mother said that one time she walked past a room in their house to see Annalise standing in there glaring at a statue of the Virgin Mary. Holy shit. She said that Annalise's eyes were, quote, turned black, jet black. Oh, no. And her hands seemed to turn into thick paws with claws. Wolverine? What's Wolverine? <laughs> First of all, Wolverine doesn't have paws, Emily. Oh, sorry. God. But he's got claws. <laughs> but yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, so in September of that year, Annalise was taken again to the neurologist, and she talked to the doctor about the visions she had been having. Mm-hmm. She said that she'd started to see evil, horrible demon faces around her. Mm -hmm. She said it started out while she was praying, then at night, and then it became more regular and would just kind of happen randomly. Oh, my God. Yep. And she said that she felt that the devil was inside her. And this is such a terrible time period to be telling doctors this. Yes. (laughs) This is like the like 60s and 70s when everybody was obsessed with, like, the satanic panic. Yeah. Demons were yep. in everybody. Yeah. And then, like, like, not even that, like, just thinking she's crazy and she's trying to shove her off to, like, a mm-hmm. an asylum or something. Right. You know? Right. And this is, again, in an area of Germany that's crazy religious, so they take that shit seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, unfortunately. It, it gets worse. We'll get into that. Um, okay, so, yeah. And then she said that she would also smell burnt feces. What the fuck? Which, when I first read that, I'm like, okay, brain tumor, because, you know, 
like smelling something burning is a symptom of having a brain tumor but then other people around it started smelling it when they were near her what the fuck does burnt shit smell like i don't know what a specific smell i know i thought it was gonna be like dead like dead bodies or something right because usually for you know demonic satanic devil things it's like the rotting rotting flesh yeah Yeah. so burnt shit is not what i expected but like it's going i mean it's gross so yeah it's gross so then, yeah, I, I also thought it was super bizarre. People started smelling it, like, on her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That part made it weirder to me. Yeah. Because otherwise you could write it off as a brain issue. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So then after all of this spooky shit, Annalise's mom, Anna, talked to their neurologist, Dr. Luthi, and she claims that he said, just go talk to a Jesuit because this was a fucking Jesus issue and not a brain issue. Oh, jeez. He denies saying that, but whatever. Of course he does. Mm-hmm. So from there, the Michelle family goes to Father Ernst Alt, who is the first person to diagnose Annalise with demonic possession. Damn. So that was September. Okay. By November, Annalise was also given two different diagnoses by two different neurologists. One said that she was neurotic and maybe epileptic, which for those of you who don't know, neurotic, very basically, like, at its bones, just kind of means that she has huge like, irrational reactions Mm -hmm. to things because Mm -hmm. of, like, the anxiety response in the brain. Mm -hmm. So not, like, in an attention-seeking way. That's just genuinely how her body is Mm -hmm. reacting to the anxiety response. Okay. Which, like, a male doctor saying that a woman is just being hysterical, wow, 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 groundbreaking. Fucking classic. Never happened before. Remember when we... This is the first. Remember when we talked about asylums and the beginning of, like, the 40s and 50s when they were really Mm -hmm. shoving people in there? Like, Mm -hmm. one of the problems was, like... Women fighting back against their husbands. Yeah, women not doing their house Menstrual chores. issues. Yeah. Like, oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, anyway, the other doctor said that she was just definitely epileptic and gave her stronger medication to, like, stop her seizures. I don't know much about epilepsy, but can it really cause delusions and hallucinations? I don't really know, to be honest with you. I assume it could because it's, like, a, a brain thing, but I don't know. Hmm. I don't really know. All right, so we fast forward about a year and a half to July of 1975, and she's acting completely out of control. Mm-hmm. So Father Alt has brought in the help of Father Arnold Rents, and both are visiting her regularly to assess the situation. And the situation is she's not sleeping. Mm-hmm. She stays up all night trying to pray, but a lot mm-hmm. of times she can't because of, like, the voices and faces of demons that are plaguing her. Mm-hmm. But she's trying to pray. She's eating bugs. Ugh. and licking up her own urine from the uh. floor but refusing to eat real food most of the time and she also cannot stand to be near any religious items and completely freaks out screaming and destroying the any come near her so like crucifixes rosaries virgin mary statues anything if it comes near her she freaks out she smashes it she's like growling and like oh attacking God. them one woman who went on like a religious pilgrimage with her said that watching her try to approach this like religious altar, she like couldn't get close to it. She would glare at it. She tried to walk around it and like enter it from the back and she still couldn't. And it was like really freaky. So she was doing pilgrimages while she was like fucking getting possessed? I think the pilgrimage was beforehand. 
it was like the pilgrimage was before it got this bad. I don't okay, know yeah. the exact okay. date, but okay. it was probably a few months before this. Okay. Because yeah. it was when she was still functioning. Okay. But also it's important to note that during this time, she would go through periods where she acted completely normal. Really? Like through this whole thing, she would act completely off the wall, licking her own piss off the floor, eating spiders, and then she would turn around and act like nothing happened. Oh my god. Yeah. And she was, it's not that she wasn't aware, she was aware that she had done those things, mm-hmm. but she was like, oh, I'm feeling better today, you know, like that kind of thing. Okay. So it, the religious pilgrimage may have been at this time, but I'm feeling like it was probably a little bit earlier. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but despite all of this, despite, you know, she's not taking care of herself in any way, she mm-hmm. is still wildly strong. They even said inhumanly strong. Okay. So she threw her sister across the room. They said, quote, like she was a rag doll, and squeezed an apple in one hand until it exploded, while oh making, God. like, death glare eye contact with Father Rents. Oh, my God. Yep. Imagine being that guy. <laughs> She's like, this is your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anytime they would try to restrain her, she could, like, fight them off pretty well. So by this time, Father Rodwick, who was an expert of exorcism and possession in the area, said that she was definitely possessed and called on the Bishop of Wurzburg. I'm so sorry. Uh, these are all German words. I'm doing my best. I should have asked German. Nick. He literally speaks German, but whatever. Uh, they called on the Bishop of Wurzburg to give permission to carry out the ritual of Roma- Romanum, Romanum, mm-hmm. a.k.a. exorcism. So at this point, Father Alt had asked the Catholic Church multiple times for permission to do so. I'm not sure if they had to go through the Vatican or if he was talking to some kind of middleman about this, but mm-hmm. they said no every time. And then eventually they got the bishop of their area to approve it. So at this time, they stopped all medical treatment, and it was exorcism time. Damn. Okay. Yeah. All right, so the first rite of exorcism is carried out by Father Rents on September 24th, 1975. And these exorcisms carried on for 10 months. Oh, my God. Ten months. Oh, my God. So Father Rents is always the one carrying out the exorcism because he's the one approved to do so, but Father Alt is also there. They're kind of tag-teaming the situation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And her parents are also very heavily involved. Mm-hmm. So they're usually for one-hour sessions about twice a week, but that sometimes would go as long as four hours. Ugh. Yeah. Father Rents also allowed some of these sessions to be recorded, ending up with a total of 42 audio tapes. Wow. So we do have some audio. Oh, damn. Okay. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's all in German, obviously, but mm-hmm. they are available to listen to. There's like an hour and a half worth, so I'm just going to play you a little bit, and then I'll tell mm-hmm. you afterwards. I'll just translate what it okay, says. Okay, yeah. But, so I'm just going to play a little bit of that for you right now. I'm going to play some for Emily, but then I'm going to put some in for you guys to listen to. So if you think you do not want to listen to a girl who is <laughs> possessed, uh, skip ahead a minute or two. I don't know. <laughs> Listen at your own risk, but also, what are you doing here if you don't want to listen to this? That is, that is very true. <laughs> Alright, so, here we go.
So yeah, that's crazy. Even though I can't understand what she's saying, like just right. the tone is very yeah upsetting. Like her <laughs> voice itself. Yeah, like that's. I mean, her if she, if she were fake, which I don't think she was faking this, but if she were, like her throat would have to be so fucked up mm-hmm. after that. And after all of this, like I'll give you my views more at the end, but I genuinely don't believe that we can say she was faking any of it. I don't think any of this could be faked to the mm-hmm. extent that she went through it. Yeah, but, yeah. But, I already don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But I'll talk more about that at the end. So, yeah, that was super fun. So she starts out saying, people must pray. And Father Renz asks, why, why, why? And Annalise says, in the churches and in the families and all above this shit thing. And Father Renz asks, the rosary? And she screams, yes. And with that, I will say no more. May your poison be taken there. And he, Father Renz asks for more again. And she screams, no, I am Nero, who is the Roman emperor who persecuted Christians and hated Christians. So she said, no, I am Nero, the third of the bunch. And he says, still more. And she says, you must go with those shit cassette tapes and everything else up to that asshole in Würzburg. Clearly, like, referring to the Bishop of Würzburg who approved all these exorcisms. Um, And that's all with intermittent grumbling and growling and screaming thrown in, so. That's unbelievable. That's That's uh, so fucking scary. It's so fucking weird. I, and the thing is that, like, when you hear the priests and whoever else is in the background, who I'm, like, assuming are probably your parents, mm-hmm. they sound so fucking calm. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, and part of me is, like, how can they be so fucking calm when this is going on? But they've done this how many times now? Yeah, they're, like, trained specifically for exorcism. Yeah, so. and, and they did it with her fucking twice a week for so long. They, they're they so desensitized Yeah. Now. But Jesus Christ. Yeah, they did. I didn't even really think about that. They seemed like it was just another Sunday right. at church. <laughs> just another day in the pulpit. <laughs> Me pulling the demons out of this young girl. Literally. Anyway. Uh, so, during her exorcisms, she said that there were all of these evil beings inside of her, and she would say that that's who was speaking at the mm-hmm. time, and she mm-hmm. would often refer to herself as we. Um, okay. So she said that inside of her were Cain, uh-huh. Judas, uh-huh. Hitler, okay. Lucifer himself, Nero, and another very odd one, Valentin Fleischmann, who was a priest from the 1500s who was kicked out of the church. Wow. So Annalise had all of these details about him that fucking terrified Father Renz and Father Alt, because how the fuck would she have known about this guy. Because, yeah. like, all of the others are kind of, like, the big scaries of the Bible. Yeah, like, they're in fucking Germany. It's Hitler. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. And that's exactly <laughs> it. It's all of the big scaries of the Bible. Yeah. And then Hitler. Yeah, but it's Germany, so. And then she throws in this guy. That's so So, like, weird. that part, like, terrified the priests. I mean, like, would you learn that in Bible school? Probably not. Like, Probably why not. would you? Yeah. Why would you talk about and that? And it seemed like at least Father Alt had known her long enough to know where she was at with her religious learning. Mm-hmm. But I can't say that for sure. Mm-hmm. But that's just kind of the vibe I got from his response to a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow. So after seven months of these exorcisms, by May of 1976, she is much, much worse. Like, everything gets worse. Like, through this whole story things only get worse like her it depression like and mental health get worse her physical health gets worse literally nothing gets better 
but at this point she's violent and volatile she's banging her head on walls or literally any hard object she can get to bang herself on the head she does uh she's trying to knock herself out sometimes she's able to knock herself out she's successful and she's trying to bite other people and bite herself she's still refusing to eat saying it was because she was quote not permitted to eat Hmm. and at this point she's just like deteriorating like she's less than 80 pounds she's still losing weight but she's somehow still remarkably strong like her family has had to restrain her and tie her down for safety because Mm -hmm. she's constantly trying to hurt herself and other people but even then she has the physical strength to fight them off Mm-hmm. And it takes multiple people to hold her down. That's nuts. That's, oh, my God. That's fucking crazy to me. That's, like, that's like I impossible. think, the craziest thing. Yeah. That's, like, humanly impossible. Right. And so by June, she's very frail. Her face is sunken. She's always sick. She would get fevers, but she would still refuse to let a doctor see her. Hmm. And at this point, Annalise and her family have all of their faith in the priests and the exorcisms. No doctors or medical intervention for months now for seven months and she'd been on you know some like anti-seizure medications and stuff that they just stopped all of that Mm -hmm. despite that though towards the end a friend of father rents named dr richard roth came to see her but he admitted that he went there quote not as a physician he just went there because he was curious and wanted to see what the fuck was going on oh my god yep he said that he saw no external injuries on annalise but this is the opposite of what the priests said they said she had like sunken eyes and bruises like kind of all over from banging herself on everything all the time and you know being restrained and she had a lot of outward injuries but this random doctor who showed up out of curiosity said he didn't see any That's which is weird bizarre yeah there's literally photos of her and she looks totally emaciated yes like, she looks like no a corpse yeah. I don't know yeah. how she was alive. That was like, and I think the one I'm thinking of was taken like right before. Yeah. I know it, when you're thinking of it. It got bad. Yes. It yeah. got really, really bad. And then her family asked if there was anything that he could do for her, like while he was there. And he said, quote, there is no injection against the devil. Shit. But he denies saying that. Of course but he also, does. also, he seems like he sucks as a doctor, so I don't believe him. Jesus. And also, that's a dope line. Why would you not own that? <laughs> There's no injection against the devil. <laughs> oh, my God. That's anti-vaxxers right now. I was just thinking <laughs> that's that. anti-vaxxers right now. I was just thinking that. Not to have, like, a stance, but our stance is please get, it, get the jab. Okay? Goodbye. Oh, 100%. So then on June 30th, Father Rents performs another exorcism on Annalise, and during the session, she's very weak, and all she can do is very meekly say, God right now. Oh, like, okay. like, make me the most holy, like, bring yeah, me back from me where I am. all my sins. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, that kind of thing. So, all she can do is very weakly say, please, absolution. You know, before this, she was, like, convulsing mm-hmm. and shrieking mm-hmm. and growling and clawing and all this stuff, and now she's just laying here just begging. That's so sad. hmm And then the next morning, after 67 exorcisms, and at the age of 23... Her family finds her dead in her bedroom. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So after her death, obviously, there's an autopsy, and her cause of death was determined to be starvation and dehydration. Mm -hmm. She was only 68 pounds when she died, and she was 23 years old. Oh, my God. And even, like, again, at that 
frailty, she still had, like, extreme strength. I can't believe she, I mean... Survived that Lasted long? that long, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's... Wow. And autopsy results also showed that even on a, quote, microscopic level, her brain was healthy. And there was nothing there that would, like, show cause for her seizures or any of, like, mm-hmm. the behaviors that she was exhibiting. I'm like, all... no abnormalities. I'm also thinking, like, since this was the 70s, I really wonder how... What it would look like today. Yeah, like, how... Yeah. I'm sure their machinery to map the brain and stuff wasn't as... <laughs> that good no you're wrong it's all exactly the same nothing has changed in 50 years <laughs> i'm just trying to make a point no it's a good point you're absolutely right i just have to be an asshole <laughs> no you're absolutely right and also oddly there were not any ulcers present in her body which is like one of the key things that you see in starvation victims huh and i think that's kind of more weird than the brain thing yeah definitely because like brains are fucking weird Ulcers are very, they're there or they're not. Also, just as a side detail, she had weirdly dilated pupils. Hmm. I don't know what that means. I'm sure it can mean a lot of different things, but that was one thing that they mentioned specifically was, like, her pupils were fucked up all the time. That's weird. Yeah. And, hmm. I mean, that can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. So her case became pretty popular in the media, and people in the area were very aware of what happened because after she died and it came out, you know, everybody was like, holy shit, (laughs) (laughs) basically. Uh, So, of course, that meant when her parents made the choice to exhume her body, hundreds of people showed up to see. Because a nun told her parents that she had had a vision of Annalise's body being fully intact months after her death with no sign of decay. So her parents were like, holy shit, that's definitely solid proof of demonic possession. Exhume her body. So they did. And with literally hundreds of onlookers... They exhumed her body, opened up her casket, and saw that her body was definitely decaying the way it should. I was going to say, a nun, a fucking psychic? I don't think so. So, first of all, fucking gross. Yeah. Second of all, the fact that literally hundreds of people showed up, it's kind of funny. That's fucked up. To be honest, I probably would have showed up. I definitely would have. Be like, yo, they're going to pull up the body of that girl that was possessed, and they're going to see if she was really possessed. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. I'm there four hours in advance with a cup of hot chocolate to make sure I get a good seat. A lawn chair like that Jason yes. Momoa gif where he like flicks it and the chair I folds out. I'm exactly that Jason Momoa <laughs> gif and I'm going to tweet that right after this. <laughs> I fucking love it. Yes, thank you. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, okay, so now we come full circle and the case goes to trial in 1978. Damn. Yep. So I read a really great article called Cries of a Woman Possessed. That was from the Washington Post in 1978 reporting on the trial. Wow. So that was pretty cool. So Annalise's parents, Joseph and Anna, as well as Father Alt and Father Rents, were put on trial for negligent homicide in her death. Okay. So basically the trial breaks down into the prosecution and defense. Mm -hmm. The defense's argument is almost all eyewitness testimony and some of the recorded tapes from the exorcisms as proof of demonic possession. Okay. The jury never really took that seriously. And that's what, like, most of their case was built on. And they were really, really pushing hard. They were like, you don't understand. She was fucking possessed. And the jury was like, uh... Separation of church and state, my guy. My dude, my guy, please. (laughs) We're not all Catholic here. (laughs) You're wrong. They were. (laughs) Yeah, no, probably almost, like, fucking 99% of them. Yes, 80% of people were very strict Catholic. But even then, they argued that Annalise was legally allowed to refuse medical treatment. 
So they even brought in a family friend, Thea Hine, to testify that when she talked to Annalise in 1976, Annalise begged her not to let anyone call a doctor. Okay, but this lady's a friend of the family. Yeah, but I guess Thea went to, like, visit and was like, holy shit, you're not okay. And she was like, please do not let anyone call a doctor. Please, please, please. And based on everyone's testimony, she was very steadfastly refusing doctor help. And I think a lot of that may have been because her family agreed that they were going to be relying on the exorcisms for it. And they just had all of their faith that that was what was going to save her. I'm just wondering, was that testimony in favor of the defense or the The prosecution? Because the defense was saying that okay. Annalise had the right to refuse medical treatment and their family friend came in to testify and said, yeah, she did not want it. Okay. But again, she's a friend, so what? she can right. bullshit. I mean, I mean, I guess, but that's tough. Right. So they were mostly relying on the whole possession thing to say that they did all they could to save her, but in the end, the demons won. And that mm-hmm. was basically their whole stance on the case. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> also, just as a super fucking fun fact, the lawyer representing the Michelle family was Eric Schmidt Leichner, one of Germany's top lawyers who defended Nazis at the war crimes trials after World War II. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. They got the Nazi guy. Oh, and gosh. he lost to demons. So, that's the defense. The prosecution has a very solid case. They argued that she was suffering terribly from psychosis and epilepsy, and the parents and priests should have been responsible and forced her to receive medical attention and to eat, since she was obviously not in a state to make any decisions for herself. Mm -hmm. And that could have been, like, tranquilizing her, force-feeding her, institutionalizing her, taking her to a hospital, but they didn't do any Mm. of those things. They just let her say no. The tube feeding. Yeah, exactly. So, doctors and other experts on the stand said that she was possibly suffering from delusions brought on by all the strong medications, Mm -hmm. exacerbated by the exorcisms, and then made worse by suddenly stopping the medication. Mm -hmm. But, like, she was acting wild before she started the meds, so, I don't know. But if you're already suffering from, like, some mental health stuff, and then you get some brain drugs thrown on there, that can make things worse, obviously. And I do think that... um, like being so religious and being so afraid of Mm -hmm. you know hell and whatever that mixed with mental illness man like and that that takes off that's exactly where we're going next is that experts blamed the extreme religious environment she was in saying that it led to a lot of stress and pressure and Mm -hmm. that her family was way too willing to rely on jesus instead of the medical doctors which Mm -hmm. is what led to her death and that's what we were saying before was that like her Christian faith was so important to her and mm-hmm. such a big part of who she was and her whole family and her whole community and mm-hmm. that whole area of Germany was the same way. So then for her to be picked out of the crowd as you're going to hell, you're possessed, there are demons in That's you. scary. And everyone around her was telling her she was yeah. possessed. Of course she went insane. Oh my God, like, yeah. You, you can't blame her. That's fucking Definitely awful. Definitely not. That's, That's like, one of the worst things that could have happened to her. Yeah. Even, like, not being super religious. Like, I, I mean, that's a scary thought exactly. for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, she spent so much of her life devoted to this. And then, yeah. you know, for everyone to tell her, like, okay, well, yeah, you're going to hell and you're possessed by demons. Like, and you're... And she was already kind of suffering from some mental yeah. health stuff. She was suffering from physical health stuff that she didn't understand. No one seemed to be really taking her seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just... A lot. And to know that she was, she had such a strong faith and t- for her to be like, and, and this isn't enough. Yeah. Like, you know? what else am I supposed yeah. to do? I stay up all night trying to pray yeah. and still there are demon faces. Yeah. Like, so, well, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Poor, honestly, poor girl. All of this is I know, just I feel so big bad. poor girl. 
let's see, but da da Also, in the prosecution, doctors said that even one week before her death, if they had taken her to the hospital, she would have lived. Yeah, I mean, if they got her the, yeah. the food tube and yeah. all that stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, prosecution also called out Father Alt with multiple experts saying that he displayed signs of schizophrenia. Really? Yeah. I thought <gasps> that was a plot twist. Oh, my God. So he wasn't the one who was doing the exorcisms, but he was, like, the partner who was there the whole yeah. time. And he was, if you remember, the one who first officially said, girl, you're possessed by yeah. demons. They said that he was schizophrenic. He I had w- signs of schizophrenia. I wonder, I wonder what those signs were. I, I know, and that's all it said. I don't know what became of it. Yeah, that's But weird. I was like, multiple unrelated experts said the same thing so that's interest that's significant wow that's crazy right so in the end obviously the prosecution won <laughs> um despite lawyers asking for no punishment to fall on the michelle family since they had quote suffered enough all four of them both the parents and both the priests got six months in jail and had to pay court costs six months six months all yeah. right mm-hmm. So, in the end, some people were actually afraid that the lenient sentencing would have people to, like, continue to rely on exorcisms, Mm -hmm. since Bavaria was one of the few Catholic districts that still practiced Mm -hmm. them. It was literally one of, like, two or three Mm -hmm. that still did exorcisms. And someone at the trial literally said, quote, this never would have happened in northern Germany. Wow. Yikes. But others said that people would be more hesitant to rely on exorcisms since people went, went to trial for this and they don't want yeah. that to happen to them. Yeah, so they that's were like, true. You know what? This is a whole legal mess now. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> and the Bishop of Würzburg, who approved the rights of exorcism, said that from now on he will only approve it if the person has a doctor in the room with them for all exorcism sessions. So, like, wow, big changes. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And it caused some unrest and, like, some nervous tension i guess all up in the catholic church but what the fuck else is new they kind of fuck up a lot oh fuck yeah they they kind of fuck up a lot throughout history and every time they're like oh no what are we gonna do keep taking people's money and telling them how to live their lives yes big big fucky walkies but it's okay we do big fucky walkies but literally no one can take us down so we're just gonna keep doing it sounds about right not to be a call out post but like i'm calling you out um and as for her parents and the priests all parties still fully believe that she was possessed. You cannot change their minds. They fully mm. believe that she was possessed. Mm-hmm. Both Father Alt and Rents said that her death was actually freedom for her mm-hmm. and that it was freeing her from the demons that were living inside of her. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yay, she's dead and free. They don't even seem to feel bad. I mean, in a religious sense, that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah. but then her parents don't think that, but they think that like their daughter died and it was saving others from the pains of these demons. I don't really know how that tracks, but if that's what helps them feel better about the death of their daughter, Mm -hmm. I'll allow it. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was interesting. So whether she was possessed or just really suffering from terrible mental health and a really strict religious environment, who knows? Who knows? I don't know, but it was fucking terrifying. Yeah. And one of the most famous possession cases of all time. Probably one of the, yeah, most terrifying. Yeah. True cases. Yeah. Like, this bitch was really doing it. And while I was um, doing the research for this, it was also, I had Psych playing, like, on TV. (laughs) And it just happened to be the episode where the girl is, like, pretending to be possessed. And she's doing a lot of the same things that this girl did. And I was just like, this is just too perfect. I just kept thinking about The Exorcist. I mean, I know that came out before this happened. And I know that was based on 
like a young boy from like the 40s yeah but a lot of that is very similar like the the peeing and the Mm -hmm. being tied to the bed and it's the strength and the yeah that's crazy yeah so anyway that is the possession of Annalise Michelle what do you think I didn't know I didn't know that this all went to trial yeah I don't think and I mean, I'm spiritual, I believe there's something, and I believe mm-hmm. that there's good and evil, mm-hmm. whatever that may be, and I just don't think, it's so hard, because because they didn't get her help for, like, possible mental illness stuff, like, right. it totally could have been just very severe mental illness. Yeah. So it's but hard. Then, but then, based on the autopsy, they were blaming it on a lot of this mental health and physical health things that they thought it was, but it seemed like no one could come to a conclusion that people agreed on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, based on the autopsy and stuff, it just doesn't seem like that was true. So I think that, that is weird. And her her knowing about the uh, Fleischman. Yeah, that's fucking like weird. Like, that random evil guy that she had no business knowing yeah. about. I mean, that unless was she was so, so religious that she's reading every book she can get her hand on. It could be. But, you but know. But I got a lot of this information from BuzzFeed Unsolved. Like, I read several articles, but mm-hmm. BuzzFeed Unsolved, the video. Mm-hmm. If, if you guys don't watch BuzzFeed Unsolved at this point, I don't know how you got here, to be honest. I know. I they, love them so much. They really put it in a good timeline of, mm-hmm. like, the, the shit she was doing. I got a lot of information from them. And Shane, who's obviously a big skeptic, was like, yeah, she's totally faking. And I just don't see how anyone could look at this kind of sustained physical and mental anguish that she was going through for almost a year. Over a year, really, if you count all of it. But she was going through exorcisms twice a week for almost a fucking year. And all of the things that she was doing, you just can't fake that. No. Not necessarily saying that it had to actually be demonic possession. It could be obviously a case of severe mental health. And but like, she wouldn't have lasted that long. Right. And like, you know, psychosis and all of these things that she could have been suffering from. I don't think it was intentionally being faked. No. And that's yeah. the biggest point I want to make. I think that's where my decision lies is it was either very severe mental illness or demonic possession. I'm open to either idea. But also, you know, a lot of times demons are able to take control of people who don't have the greatest mental health and mental strength. And since she had been suffering from some depression for a while, it's possible that that made her an easy target and made her weaker and easier to kind of take over. You know what I mean? That's crazy shit, man. Chrissy! All right, you know what I think it's time for? Dad joke intermission. Oh, did you sing the jingle this time? <laughs> I know, I stole your thunder. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Alright, I got a pretty good one. Because you know I'm all hashtag save the bees. Let me hear it. What do you call a beehive without an exit? I don't know. Unbelievable. Oh, that's so cute. Because <laughs> <laughs> the bees can't leave. <laughs> oh, I get it. I thought, oh, okay, I thought just, wow, I'm stupid. <laughs> I thought it was because, like, it's impossible for them to not have a back door. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Emily. <laughs> Hashtag save the bees, guys. It's 9.30. It's my bedtime. <laughs> it's past your bedtime by like six hours. <laughs> All right, do you have one? Yes. <laughs> Who were the greenest presidents in U.S. history? <gasps> the Bushes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny one. I know that one. <laughs> All right, are you ready for this one? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Did you know that the first French fries weren't cooked in France? No. They were cooked in Greece. Oh, that's <laughs> cute. 
Also because I'm passionate about french fries. This is, like, a one-liner. You love one-liners. I know, there's, I've been finding a lot of them, and some of them are pretty funny. If prisoners could take their own mugshots, they'd be called selfies. <laughs> With a C? Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love it. <laughs> and thus concludes dad joke intermission. It's time for more spooky shit, and I'm very excited. We are talking about another possession. I think I know what one yours is. The Enfield Poltergeist. Is this the one from Conjuring 2? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Which, surprisingly, a lot of the Conjuring 2 was accurate to what actually happened. Oh, you know what? That kind of sucks, because I was going to say it was my least favorite one. I knew it was your least favorite one. Okay. <laughs> as long as you're not going to be personally offended. No, 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 no. I actually agree. I don't think the Conjuring 2 was the best... I thought work. it was kind of cartoonish once you got to the crooked man and it was very Tim Burton-esque. And True. I was watching it with friends and we were all just like drinking and giggling the whole time. So it was definitely the least scary. I mean, the first one will always be the best. So good. The third one was actually pretty good. You know what? I think Annabelle's the best. Wait, The Conjuring 3? What one is that? The Devil Made Me Do It. That We watched it together. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was technically a Conjuring movie. That one was pretty good, but it's hard to be scared of like horrible evil witchcraft doing witch things when half the people i know do like wicca yeah i'm like and they're like all soft nerds so like yeah that's, that's very you know true. it's it's hard for witchcraft to be scary mm -hmm. but Definitely. the movie itself was good all right so today we're going to talk about the enfield poltergeist, the enfield poltergeist. and if anybody knows about the warrens they'll they'll know that the enfield poltergeist was technically one of their cases mm -hmm. Even and if you want to hear more about Warren's cases, mm -hmm. we covered The Conjuring and Annabelle, the real life stories, mm -hmm. in like our third episode, so go yeah. check those out. Yeah, that was last season. Yeah. That was so last season. <laughs> so last season, <laughs> but like still really good. So just for those who don't know, and if you don't know, why are you here? Because you must not like <laughs> horror. Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren were paranormal investigators who were associated with some of the most famous hauntings known around the world. And... Their most prominent cases include uh, the Amityville ha Haunting, the Haunting of the Perrin Family, and the Enfield Poltergeist. So, let me set the scene a little bit. The location is 284 Green Street in Brimsdown, Enfield, London, England. In this whole situation happened between the years of 1977 and 1979. This happened in a little, like, I don't know what they're called. They're like little townhouses. And they're very, everything's, like, all very close together. So yeah. it's very, like, quaint and quiet. The very, like, English. It's very British. <laughs> like, the, the very British town yes, that you're very, picturing in your head. Very. It's, it's that one. And the household we're going to talk about today consisted of the mother, Peggy Hodgson, and her daughters, Margaret, who was 13, Janet, who was 11, and two sons, Johnny, who was 10, and Billy, who was 7. I did some of my research based on a book that one of the investigators ended up writing and i'm a little confused because he ended up changing their surname and also their names so i'm not sure That's if weird. like i'm wondering if like the hodgson family was like no you can't use our names in this story it could be but like they're so open about what happened and they're still doing interviews today so i don't i guess they just didn't maybe want him to profit off of it that could be. And, you know, when you give that story to somebody else who might take a little bit of creative license, I can see why I wouldn't want my name to be in someone else's story if they're writing it about me. Cough, cough, haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Fucking Steve. Fucking Steve. <laughs> anyway. Um, 
right before the paranormal activity really started in the house, mm-hmm. Janet and her sister Margaret had actually played a Ouija board. I mean, I've always said that, like, Ouija boards are, like, kind of fake. I'm like, whatever. Like, in my experience of using them, nothing weird has ever happened. But then, you know, Nick and our friend and I mm-hmm. have used the Ouija board in the house a few weeks ago. Now, kind of weird shit is happening. I hate you. So I'm like, and I didn't even think about the Ouija board thing until I mentioned it to my friend, and she was like, weren't you guys playing with the Ouija board? Yeah. And I was like, shit. Tisk tisk. Shit, Mm-mm. shit, shit. Because, like, apparently it doesn't even matter if, like, nothing happens on the board. Like, yeah. s- something could still be there, you know? And you remember how many things were telling us not to do it? Exactly. Like every Besides time- me? Yeah, Emily was telling us not to. <laughs> when we started, we all started hearing this weird fucking sound, and we froze. <laughs> we tried again, and I forget what happened. And then the third time, as soon as we put our hands on the thing, the two ca- like, one of the two candles that we were using just blew out. That's, like, a bad omen. And we were like, you know... <laughs> this could be a sign. But we didn't listen to the red flag. Of course not. We kept of going. course not. And now, scary shit. <laughs> it's happening to you. I'm fine. Did I tell <laughs> you what happened? No! Can we take a very small side yeah. tangent? Okay. Yeah, because you still didn't tell me. Okay, oh shit, I still, okay. No. So, uh, I was in the shower. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so for those of you who can't see me right now, um, I have a little necklace that I wear all the time. It's a short chain. It has a little uh, infinity symbol on it. Mm-hmm. It has me and my parents' birthstones. Aww. Cute little necklace. Um, I literally never take it off. Mm-hmm. I've taken it off twice to clean it mm-hmm. since I've gotten it a few years ago, and that's it. So I was standing in the shower, and I was standing completely still, just finished shampooing my hair. Mm-hmm. I was standing still, like just like with my head back like this, mm-hmm. with the water just going over my hair. Classic, and all my hair yeah. was like, you know, behind my back. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it went... Really? Like, it pulled up against my neck like someone tugged it from behind. Not, like, crazy hard. Yeah, but... But enough for me to freak out. And I was, like, you know, a lot of people talk about, like, in horror movies and stuff, and they're scared to shower and, like, close their eyes. Yes, I still am. I never get that. (laughs) You know, I always have that kind of, what if there's a demon here mentality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm always a little scared of that. But I've never had that in the shower. Really? And then this happened. And hmm. so it, like, pulled back against my neck, and I was like, what the fuck? And I just kind of wrote it off. I was like, maybe the water caught it weird somehow, yeah. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I just kind of tried to ignore it. But then, about a minute later, I heard what sounded like a very soft voice say something quietly in the bathroom. Really? In the bathroom with me. And so, again, I fucking froze. And it was like, okay, logically, Emily's home, Nick's home, the cats are usually in the bathroom with me when I shower, mm-hmm. if not right outside the door. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but I don't think any of them are in the bathroom with me. And so I was like, you know, whatever. That could have been anything. And yeah. if it weren't for the necklace thing, that wouldn't have been weird. So I'm like, mm-hmm. not a big deal. And then about a minute after that, our shower has like a big sliding glass door instead of a curtain. And it's very noisy when mm-hmm. it like rattles in the track. Because like Loki always comes and like paws at the bathroom door. Mm-hmm. And then he paws at the shower door until I let him in the shower. <laughs> and so... It started doing that little super loud rattling sound. Really? Just like two little rattles, but it was enough that I was like, Jesus fuck. Yeah. And I looked down, completely expecting to see Loki, because I thought if I heard a sound and then the door's rattling, he's got to be in here. Yeah. But he wasn't. Shit. So again, separately, none of those things are super crazy, but after the necklace pulled against my throat. Yeah, no, that's fucked. 
That was scary. And I'm sure they're all easily explainable, <laughs> but it really freaked me the fuck out. Yeah. And then when I mentioned it to Nicole, she was like, weren't y'all playing with the Ouija board? And I was like, shit, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry to derail from your demons no. that were actually scary. I'm, I mean, I'm glad you told me because you mentioned it yesterday and then you never told me. No, and we just, forgot about it. <laughs> just pulling at bitches' necklaces. <laughs> anyway, go on. I'm so sorry. So, one night in August of 1977... Peggy had heard her daughter Janet upstairs, like, complaining that her bed was shaking, as well as her brother's beds. Ah. And Peggy kind of just went up there and was like, stop fucking around, it's bedtime. Mm -hmm. And that was that. And then the next night, Peggy heard a really loud crash from right upstairs, and when she went up to where Janet and Margaret slept, into the, when she went into their room, to tell them to just fucking stop it, knock, knock it, it off. Knock the fuck off! Yeah. Um, she actually witnessed a dresser move uh-huh uh-huh like, like how much move towards her like quite a big distance yo it was that bitch from beauty and the beast basically <laughs> basically and she was really confused by this she's like mm, what so she was like just trying to push it back to its spot <laughs> but she said that it was like as if someone was on the other side of it like pushing it towards her so she couldn't push it that's just called heavy <laughs> <laughs> that's just a heavy dresser girl or maybe the Ghost just has muscles on muscles. I don't know. <laughs> so I read that that happened, but I also read that a different situation that had happened where the dresser moved and she pushed, pushed it back to where it was and then it moved again. So I'm not sure which one's, like, accurate, but Either they're both way, scary. Yeah. Dressers are attacking her. Yeah, I mean, those things are fucking heavy, too. Yeah. <laughs> so when recalling this memory, Margaret had said, quote, There were strange noises in the house. You couldn't make out what was going on and none of us got any sleep. Yeah. <laughs> that's <bet>. right <laughs> and as these strange noises increased peggy had ended up asking her neighbor vic nottingham to come investigate and this <laughs> happened like right after the dresser moved they were like let's go talk to our muscly beefy neighbor vic and maybe he can check it out oh, so his only qualifications were muscles yeah basically I he was, was just I a big dude it was dude. just gonna be super convenient like oh our neighbor's an exorcist no they Damn. were just like you know what vic He's a big dude. He can't be scared of we much. We need a beefy muscle man. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So Vic was like, all right, I got you. So while Peggy and the kids were over at Vic's house, Vic went over to investigate and he said, quote, I went in there and I couldn't make out these noises. There was a knocking on the wall in the bedroom on the ceiling. I was beginning to be get a bit frightened. So, you know, you know, big man Vic, he actually got scared. Oh, even though they didn't even, think he would. Even big old Vic got scared. Even big old Vic. <laughs> big old Vic. <laughs> so when Vic came back, they decided to call the police, and the police came out to investigate the this strange claim of disembodied knocks. I'm not really sure what they were thinking when they were responding to yeah. that call. What but... are we going to do? Shoot the knocking sound? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> and so the police constable and I think another policeman, they went into the house and the police constable had said that she actually saw with her own eyes a chair wobble and like slide, but she oh. couldn't figure out what could have caused the movement. Like she was looking right. for wires or like if this was just some weird joke. And she said that the it was a large armchair that moved and it moved about four feet across the floor oh okay so that's like significant yeah yeah not just like a little like yeah i was shake. thinking it was just like a kitchen chair like scooched nah like homie was pulling that Jesus. chair with him and it was yeah. a large armchair apparently so this is a muscly ghost yeah yeah really who's your personal <laughs> trainer bro i know really god <laughs> <laughs> 
So eventually the police left because it was like, bro, what are we going to do? We can't, like, shoot a ghost. Sorry. Bye. And they left. Like the (laughs) cop from uh, the Conjuring movie? Like, what are you going to do? Shoot a ghost? Yes, exactly. So they left, and the policewoman that was there, she actually gave a sworn affidavit of this activity that she had witnessed. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Because, like... That's significant. Yeah. Yeah, That's especially fun. especially since you're doing it under oath, so it's got to be the truth. Yeah. And like, and she's a cop. Yeah, and so, like, obviously she had to have seen something. She had stated in this affidavit that objects would just appear out of nowhere. What? Yeah. Mini-tune stuff? Yeah, like, something that wasn't in the room would just suddenly be in the room kind of thing. <gasps> like, you know how poltergeists love to move shit around when yeah, you're not yeah. looking? Yeah, like that. And she also said that, like, spoons would bend themselves. You ever had really hard ice cream? I know that's probably what happened, right? <laughs> that's that ghost just wanted some ice cream but didn't want to get out the ice cream scoop. It was and like wrecked a spoon. Yeah, it was like the quart of ice cream was so cold that like you yeah. couldn't even you know when you can't even jab yeah. it in there. <laughs> Poor ghost. <laughs> He's just trying to snack. And she also said that fires would just break out randomly. What? Yeah. Yeah. How was that not, like, the first thing? I know, right? <laughs> what the fuck? She's more worried about the spoons, but okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Someone call the fire department. There's just spontaneous combustion everywhere in this house. The ghost is a klep... Not a klepto. Pyro? Pyro. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The ghost is stealing things. The ghost is setting things I on I mean, technically fire. he was, if he's moving shit around. Yeah, I, it could be. <laughs> so, as time went on, the family actually began to hear voices along with the knocking sounds. It's weird that they're just now getting to voices. Yeah. Usually voices come before spontaneous fires. <laughs> That's what I would think, right? Like, <laughs> I would think. In the order of escalation, it would yeah. probably go from knocking, scratching, voices, voices spoon bending, fire. fire. <laughs> <laughs> this ghost doesn't know how it works. So the family said that heavy furniture would move across the room and objects would be thrown just randomly by nothing in particular. And it was even said that at one point, some of the children would levitate. And we'll get a little more into that in a sec. But I also read that cups would just randomly fill with water. So Be- far, he seems like just kind of a dick, but not <laughs> yeah. like the worst. Like he kind of cares, but like in a harsh way. Yeah. <laughs> and in regards to the levitation, there are actual photos that show Janet seemingly levitating in the air. Okay. In a, quote, seemingly impossible leap. But I don't know like because... Like up high or just like barely off the floor? You know, there's a series of photos and they're very famous. And in my opinion, it does sort of look like she's just jumping off the bed. Oh. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, she's high in the air, but the bed's like right there. Oh, okay. So it, she could have... And the way her legs were positioned, like, she, you know, she's a skinny girl. So like, you can see like the muscles in her leg, they look right. like they were... Tensed tensed or contracted or whatever you know jumping yeah those are jumping muscles yeah definitely but you know who knows and janet and margaret like still do interviews every now and then and janet did an interview with warner bros um before or maybe it was just after um the conjuring 2 had come out and she was recalling the levitation and Mm -hmm. like she very clearly is traumatized by that like she was 
she had tears in her eyes, like very yeah. visibly, like shaken, and it was hard for her to even talk about it. So you know, who am I to be like, no, that was fake? Like, right? She might have been levitating. It sounded real when she was talking about it. She was like really messed up about it. Yeah. Um. So when she was talking about the levitation, she said that like it felt like a cold force was like pulling her up towards the ceiling. Okay. Which makes sense, I guess. Like, yeah. usually when we talk about ghosts, we feel cold and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, the Warrens were there, but she did say that she witnessed Margaret and Janet levitate, and they sort of, she put it as, like, they crisscrossed in, in the air, so, like, oh, shit. they levitated, and then they, like, s- switched spots kind of thing. Oh, very, you know, ragdoll style. Yeah, yeah. It's like playing The Sims, almost. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> They're just playing Sims with these people. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Janet recalled, like, one of her most traumatizing experiences as being when a, like, curtain had wrapped around her neck and, like, tried to choke her out. Jesus Christ! Yeah, and, like, her mom, like, it took her mom a great deal of effort to, like, get it off from around her neck. Jesus! And, like, other people saw that? That's a good question. I just know her mom was there. Okay. Um, but... It could have been, it could have happened when, um, like, the investigators were also there. I'm not okay. really sure. Speaking of investigators, paranormal investigator Maurice Gross. Maurice Gross. Maurice Gross. Maurice Gross, yes. Mr. Gross. Mr. Gross, yes, that's <laughs> Mr. Gross. Yo, Britton gives us the best name. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> he was from um, this thing called Society for Psychical Research, and he visited the house, and he actually ended up staying there for 13 months to document the paranormal activity. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so they just had to, he just lived with them? Yeah, him and his buddy. His buddy's name was um, Guy Playfair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. His name was what? Guy Space Playfair. <laughs> Maurice and Guy. Yeah. Gross and Playfair. Gross and, gross and Playfair. So this family had to not only live with demons, but also had to live with Maurice Gross and, and Guy, Guy Playfair. Playfair. For 13 months. <laughs> for over a year. That, can you imagine just two men just live in your house and take notes all the time for over a year? Can you imagine men? No. <laughs> I try not to. Exactly. So... They stayed there for 13 months, and Gross said, quote, When I first got there, nothing happened for a while. Then I experienced Lego pieces flying across the room and marbles, and the extraordinary thing was, when you picked them up, they were hot. So I found that interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because usually, you know, when we talk about feeling a, a presence, like, usually it's, like, cold it, air. Yeah. and So that was weird. It was said that Gross was a little bit, like, too connected to this case um, because his daughter had recently died a couple years before, and her name was also Janet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and this seems like a conflict of interest. Definitely. Yeah. And he believed that his dead daughter was trying to contact him through Janet Hodgson, so... Yeah, that's problematic. That's a bit too much, I might say. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. Like, yeah. fucking tragic that that happened, but then that kind of discounts a lot of mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that he may, quote-unquote, discover. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what, where the issue would lie, but it seems inappropriate, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, when you're going through the grieving process, you're not thinking rationally, and for him to really think that it's his daughter trying to speak to him through mm-hmm. Janet, like... 
he he probably really did think that because that's yeah. just you know when we're grieving our mind we don't think you'll like grasp onto any yeah. straw you can yeah. yeah so it's really sad but around this time when they started investigating um janet began to like go into a trance all of a sudden her voice would get really like low and gravelly and weird and gross was like let's try to like debunk this gross he had janet like fill her mouth with water and then he would like ask the entity or whatever's there questions to see if this voice they were hearing was like still coming from janet because a lot of the times she you know she would actually her mouth would move when she was speaking in that weird voice but sometimes they said that when she wasn't talking or anything it sounded like the voice was coming from like right next to her or like right behind her yeah yeah oh don't like that yeah so gross was like here drink this water keep it in your mouth and i'm gonna ask some questions but like a ventriloquist yeah literally (laughs) literally and what kind of test is that well i mean it it makes sense but he was experimenting okay (laughs) so he said that they would still hear the spirit talk as if it was coming from janet but obviously she had the water in her mouth her mouth wasn't moving Mm mm-hmm so they actually, speaking of ventriloquists, they actually had one pop over and try to, like, figure out if she, it was possible for her to be doing that. And it was Jeff Dunham. <laughs> I wish it was. When was this? The 70s? I, I don't think so. Damn it. <laughs> you know, honestly, good on that ventriloquist. He was like, finally, someone wants my expertise on this. What a, what an excellent consultant for this Highlight case. of his career. I love it. <laughs> Imagine being the ventriloquist consultant on the Enfield Poltergeist case. I mean, that's so, like, random, but it makes sense. It does. I love everything about that. Yeah, and I think, like, Martin Gross came up with... Or Martin. Martin. Maurice. Maurice Gross? Maurice Gross. I Maurice think he, Gross is personal friends with Jeff Dunham. Apparently. And that's how they set this up. Apparently. And I think, like, it made sense for him to do that. Yeah. Um, I and, love that. And it... Obviously, they were like, no, this isn't really possible. It's gotta be something else. Right. And him and his buddy Playfair, they recorded Playfair. they recorded over two thousand unexplained events over that thirteen month period. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and like at one point, like they would try everything to stop things from happening. Like they even tried to tie like a wire down to the bed so that the bed wouldn't move. Okay. But the wire snapped, <gasps> and the bed just was like shaking like crazy by Jesus itself. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I told you about my old bedroom that used to shake at my old Yeah, apartment. and that's fucked up. Not that bad, though. That sounds worse. Yeah, no, this is, like, violent shaking. Like, sometimes, there's even pictures of it. Sometimes, their whole bed would be flipped. I mean, obviously, it was just a picture, so... Like, flipped on the ground or flipped over, like, midair? Like, it was pro- I think it was, like, an after photo. I don't know. Oh, okay. Oh, Especially okay. with, like... The cameras back then, I don't think yeah. they could have caught it, like, unless they, they had to, like, were actually recording. to, like, film. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But they, like, had pictures of, like, the bed, uh, like, flipped over on its side, um, and that would happen to a lot of the furniture Ew. in the house. And most of this paranormal activity did center around Janet. That's why, you know, she was experiencing these weird trances where she would just speak in this really weird, deep voice. Mm-hmm. Gross also stated that there would be, like, weird whistling and barking noises that would come from, like, the general direction of where Janet was. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we got some hellhound shit now. That's what it sounds like. Damn. When talking about the possible spirit that seemed to have, like, taken over Janet, she said, quote, It didn't want to hurt us. 
It had died there and wanted to be at rest. The only way it could communicate was through me and my sister. But, um, ma'am. Like, setting fires in your house and flipping over your furniture and choking you with a curtain sounds like it wants to hurt you. Yeah. A little. Yeah. So I was a little, like, really, Janet? Really? I'm just, I'm just not sure, Janet. I don't know. I, this seems a little bit more than anger, than just anger. It sounds like this man's is trying to... Evil. ...hurt you. And the spirit was said to be of a previous owner, Bill Wilkins, um, and apparently that sort of revelation happened during one of the trances. Janet was like, my name is Bill Wilkins. My name is Bill Wilkins. Literally. And then it was proven later on that there was a man named Bill Wilkins that had died in that house from a hemorrhage while sitting in the living room. Oh, in his shit. Living and room they, chair. would they have had any way to know that? I... I don't think so. I think the way they did found out was, like, they were looking for the relatives of a Bill Wilkins. Okay. Um, and when they found his son, his son was the one to confirm that, yes, my dad did live in this house, and he mm-hmm. did die in the living room. So, who knows? But there was also a medium that came in, and her name was Annie Shaw. And she visited the house and said there were, like, not just Bill, but there were, like, several entities there. Yeah. And they were feeding off of the energy of Peggy and Janet, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I said before, Ed and Lorraine weren't as involved with this case as they were in other cases, but they stated that they were convinced that there was supernatural things going on in this house. Right. And they do believe that it was the cause of everything that was happening. When Janet talked about Ed and Lorraine Warren, she said that when they arrived, she felt really comforted by them. And, like, girl, I get that. Like, just watching their interviews and stuff, I just get, like, a real, like, homey, comfortable vibe from them. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because they were, like, sort of old and I love old people. I just, I don't know. I just get a vibe. As someone who does not love old people, (laughs) um, I still get that vibe from them. Yeah. And especially in a scenario that's something like your house is being haunted by an evil poltergeist that's trying to kill you. Mm -hmm. And then somebody shows up who has years and years of experience of handling these things, knows what's going on, and can help you. Yeah, that's comforting. That is also true, I'm sure. I mean, just have it. Like, like when you have a scary nightmare, and then you go to your mom's room. Yeah. It's like the same kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, like, someone's here to protect me now. I mean, Maurice and Playfair were there, and they were part of a paranormal research thing, but... But were they Ed and Lorraine Warren? No. No, they That's were Maurice the Gross and Guy Play- <laughs> Playfield? Playfair. Playfair now. Play school. <laughs> so... Margaret and Janet did say that they really believed that the Warrens tried to help them as best as they could. Right. Um, But it was kind of weird because Guy Playfair had said that the Warrens showed up unannounced and then left the next day. But I'm sensing a bit of jealousy. Yeah. Sounds like someone's mad that they didn't get a movie. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Especially because Janet and Margaret, like, confirmed that they did try to help. Right. So that's a little weird. And Don't come for our mom and dad like that. Yeah, first definitely of all. not. Do not talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren like that. So over thirty eyewitnesses had observed paranormal phenomenon in this house, and this includes the police, Cambridge professors, and multiple media outlets. Uh, the Daily Mirror had taken interest into this case, and he had captured photos of Janet like seemingly levitating in the air. Those are the photos that I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. and it was funny because the cameras would be set up. In the girls' bedroom and everyone else would be downstairs. And the next day, like, Janet and Margaret were like, oh my god, like, we were fu- we were levitating. And, like, uh, so obviously freaking out about it. Yeah. And they're like, no. Prove it, though, bitch. And then 
they went to get the film developed and that's when they were like oh, oh shit see, there you go you can yeah. just check the pictures right away you gotta take them somewhere to get them developed wait a couple of fucking business days <laughs> and then see if your pictures are any good yeah and as soon as they saw the pictures they were like holy shit like these girls are telling the truth like ah. that's crazy and there was a photographer that was there from, I don't know, from some media source, and he said that a Lego brick hit him above the eye. Like, it was thrown with such force that he had a mark right above his eye for three days. That's just my day-to-day job. That is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That's just my life, man. And the BBC had made an attempt to do audio recordings there so that they could catch the knocks and the voices. But um, they found that their tapes had become all twisted up, so they were unusable. Ooh, yeah. Convenient. Weird. And gross and playfair. <laughs> they tried communicating with the spirit by asking for the spirit to knock in response to the questions that they asked. And, you know, you see that in The Conjuring, too. Mm-hmm. Besides the knocking, the spirits would communicate through Janet. And that's when Gross would ask his questions. And Janet would speak in that weird, deep, masculine, weird voice Mm -hmm. when he was trying to figure out who the spirit was. And Janet had said it was Bill Wilkins. He asked, who are you? And Janet said, quote, two years before I died, I went blind. Then I had a hemorrhage. Then I fell asleep and I died in a chair in the corner downstairs. (gasps) That's real specific. Yeah. That's, you know, that there's no room for interpretation there. Yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ. Exactly, and, like, they didn't find out if this was the truth until, like, a, a, quite a while later when mm-hmm. they actually searched for a Bill Wilkins and his right. relatives. And, honestly, that's sort of where the paranormal activity ends. Like It just ended randomly? Yeah, so after a year and a half of this just unexplained phenomenon, like, it just, they said it just abruptly came to an end. Okay. And I did read that that happens with poltergeist activity. Like, it happens and then it's just gone. I don't know why. Okay. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. So that's basically what happened here. Um, and so, of course, this whole situation was getting a lot of media attention. And, of course, there was many people who were like, this is a fucking hoax. Like, right. are yep. you kidding me? Of course. So a lot of people believe that the whole thing was just an elaborate hoax and that the children had gotten a kick out of fooling Maurice and Guy. Right. Gross and Playfair did actually catch Janet on, like, two separate occasions, bending spoons. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Janet yeah. even admitted that she did do it. In the interview with Warner Bros., she said, about 2% of the activity was done by me and my siblings. We wanted to see if Guy and Maurice would catch us. Ah, classic. Um, yeah, so she said... Classic, uh, I was just checking to make sure you were yeah, paying attention. Yeah, yeah, so she said specifically, 2% of the activity was us being kids. Well, you know, <laughs> that is kids being kids. So both Gross and Playfair did say that even though they caught the kids playing tricks every now and then, they did believe that the haunting was genuine. Right, because it seems like there's a lot of stuff they could not have faked. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think in the beginning I talked briefly about how Guy Playfair wrote a book about this whole experience, and it's called This House is Haunted, and I wanted to read just a snippet of chapter one because i actually thought it was kind of good like i don't know (laughs) okay so this is chapter one blitz is what it's called i can hear noises said pete harper so can i said janet the two children sat up in bed and listened it was a sort of shuffling sound that seemed to come from the floor of their bedroom 
and it was very odd indeed. It's very British. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Pete, aged 10, and his sister, a year older, were settling down for the night in one of the three upstairs bedrooms of their home in the northern London suburb of Enfield. In the main bedroom overlooking the street, their mother was getting ready for bed with her eldest and youngest children, Rose, 13, and Jimmy, 7. How do we not hear about those kids at all? Oh, yeah, no. He just totally, like... Oh, he changed their names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I forgot about that. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. So, it was about half past nine on the evening of the 31st of August, 1977, and none of the Harpers could be expected to know that the family had already had its last normal night's sleep for a long time to come. Mrs. Harper came out of her bedroom. What's all this going on, she asked, rather crossly, for this was the second time running that Pete and Janet had been larking about in the bedroom. The night before, they had tried to have her believe that their beds were shaking up and down. Going all funny, Janet had claimed. It was always the same when Pete and Janet were together. They were the energetic pair of the family. What were they up to now? Something's shuffling, said Janet. Sounds like that chair. Very well, then. I'll take it away, her mother replied. She carried the chair downstairs to the living room and came up again. Janet and Pete were still chattering excitedly, so Mrs. Harper switched their light off, hoping that would quiet them down. But then she, too, heard something peculiar. She, sh she switched the light on again at once, but everything seemed to be in place. The chest of drawers beside the doorway, the other chair in between the two beds, and the handful of children's books on the mantelpiece. The children were lying down with their hands under the bedclothes. Mrs. Harper switched the light off once more. Immediately, the shuffling sound began as before. She thought it sounded like someone moving across the floor in slippers, and she was sure that whoever or whatever was making the noise, it could not be either of the children. Then the knocking started. The three of them clearly heard four loud knocks. They seemed to come from the party wall, and though the Nottinghams next door often had friends in for the evening, it was not like them to start banging on the wall. Yeah, that's not like a normal <laughs> thing. <laughs> Although she could not think of a normal explanation for the knocks and the shuffling noise, Mrs. Harper assumed there must be one, but there could not be anything normal about what happened next. The heavy chest of drawers just inside the bedroom door began to slide along the floor, towards the doorway and out into the room, away from the wall. By no stretch of the imagination could either of the children be held responsible. Mrs. Harper froze. Even the children were silent. She pushed the chest of drawers back to its normal position. It had moved she reckoned, about 18 inches. That's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, in England. They don't use inch inches. What the fuck? They had to do some quick math. Playfair, you have some explaining to do. Explain, Playfair. Then it moved again, as before, on its own, just sliding out into the doorway as if trying to block it, and when Mrs. Harper tried to push it back this time, it would not budge. It was as though somebody was pushing from the other side. As many people probably do when they suddenly realize they are in the presence of something totally strange, Mrs. Harper began, literally, to shake with fear. All right, she said after a pause. Downstairs, everybody. They gathered sheets and blankets and trooped downstairs, followed eventually by a thoroughly bewildered Rose and Jimmy. What are we going to do? Pete asked. That's the end of my snippet. That's a Leaving good you on a snippet. cliffhanger. Everybody go get this book. It actually sounds not too bad. <clears throat> It sounds fun. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it sounds exactly like what happened, so. Yeah. I don't know. But also, you only read the first, like, couple of paragraphs, you know? True. Who knows and, how crazy it gets at the end. Yeah, and I don't know if we should trust this Playfair fella. But he has to play fair. <laughs>
That's you, why he had to like, change the names. Like <laughs> so what do you think about the whole thing? Um, I think that there was big old poltergeist. Yeah. Big old big old ghost up in there. I, I I think even though some of it was faked because kids mm-hmm, are kids, mm-hmm. like they were small things and I think a lot of the stuff you can't really fake and especially since there were so many witnesses that were mm-hmm. very credible witnesses mm-hmm. and they all told similar stories and it was such a huge case and so many people saw things like I can't not believe it. You yeah. Know? No, I agree. Based especially on the science. Yeah, I mean especially because, you know, you had the police verifying that something weird was going on you had cambridge professors coming in and being like oh yeah that's weird yeah exactly so i mean with the media it can so obviously be like them fabricating a lot of stuff but like when it comes to like professionals you know yeah i i think so too i i i think yeah the kids were being kids at some points and just doing shit on purpose but like they can't have done everything yeah like the fires and the stuff like that Right. So, yeah, I'd say that's real big spooky town. Definitely. That is actually really similar to the stuff in the movie. Yeah, it's like... drink too. Yeah, so. it's like almost like right on the nail. Yeah, until you get to like Balek and all the mm-hmm. nun yeah. stuff. And yeah, the, true. And the, the tree out front and the crosses flipping up. True. I was, I was surprised that they used like Bill Wilkins' actual name like in yeah. the movie. Yeah, I thought about that too. I thought they would like just use a random name. Yeah. Because I remember, when you said the name Bill Wilkins, I yeah. was like, yeah, I do remember I that was the name. I l- literally remember the part where Janet's like, my name is Bill, Bill Wilkins, Wilkins, and I died in this house. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. That yeah. was good. Um, all right. That was fun. Yeah. That was spooky. Definitely one of our spookier episodes, yeah. I feel like. Uh, you know, we love the paranormal stuff. Definitely. All that spooky shit. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you guys liked this episode or this type of content, let us know, because we're always kind of on the hunt for new stuff. Mm-hmm. We kind of cover a lot of different bases. We do, you know, the aliens, conspiracy theories, true crime, cryptids, paranormal. Unsolved disappearances. All all, un- all kinds of unsolved things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let us know. You can let us know on Instagram or Twitter. We're both at UCF Podcast. Uh, you can DM us or tweet us, whatever there, and tell us if you have any episode ideas you want to hear in the future mm-hmm. or what kind of stuff you want to hear more or less of. Mm -hmm. Um, probably want to hear less humor (laughs) but yeah so you can like i said you can follow us let us know there also if you guys have any personal spooky stories of your own definitely whether it's paranormal or a weird ass person yeah or whatever it is literally whatever it is we want to hear it uh so you can send them to us there or you can send us thoughts concerns or stories at ucf.pod at gmail and in the meantime stay spooky my friends